3, 14 to 21 today. This passage is another prayer from Paul. We saw chapter 1 ended in a prayer, and now chapter 3 is he is bringing to a conclusion this first real section of the book where he has been bringing out the truth of their position, who they are now are in Christ, God's creation of the church, their placement in it. And as he brings that to a conclusion, he does so with another prayer for them. In reading his prayer for the church in Ephesus and thinking of what Paul wanted God to do in their lives, what he wanted them to know, got me thinking about some things. And then I was asked a question this week. I was asked if a believer doesn't involve themselves in a church, in fellowship and service and in all of the things that God has given us in the church, what do they miss out on in their Christian life? It really made me think. I, my answer was something as simple as like, well, everything their Christian life is to be about. But I think that's what Paul is bringing out in the book of Ephesians, that who we are in Christ is, is being placed into the church, and that, as we looked at last week, that because of what God has done for us, we have this obligation to serve him. All right, my big idea from last week just left me there for a minute. But for what he's done, we have this obligation to serve him, and now we see this other side of that and what Paul is bringing out. And think about that with... with Knowing something and how it affects our life and what it means to be involved and, and what it means to miss out. There's a lot of examples you could give of this, but the most striking to me is, is what we see with our veterans who come home after serving in a foreign war and what happens when they're no longer in the service. One of the saddest funerals I ever did in, in the years I was in the funeral industry was a young man who was only 20 years old. And by the time he was 20, he had served two tours in Afghanistan. And less than two weeks after coming home from his second tour, he took his own life. He was leaving the Marine Corps, and I don't know what was going through his head, but whatever life held in front of him, evidently because of the things he had seen and what he had experienced, that he did not want to carry on. But PTSD cannot explain all of the suicides among veterans. I read this week, this was a, a survey from a couple years ago, that the unadjusted suicide rate for veterans was 23.3 per 100,000 in 2001, and 31.7 per 100,000 in 2020. It had this enormous jump over 20 years. And you think of all the conflicts that we have sent our young people to in the last 20 years. And in contrast, for non-veteran U.S. adults in 2020, the, the suicide rate was less than half. It was 16.1 per 100,000. And that in talking with veterans and talking with those who work with veterans, they say the hardest thing in getting across to a young man or a young woman who has been involved in the military and served overseas is that they have been a part of a group that they were willing to give their life for someone else, and that person was willing to give their life for them. They were involved in something bigger than themselves, something greater than themselves. 
and then they come home to a world that is all about possessions and myself and me, and they don't see any hope in it. The meaning that they found in their life when they were serving with other people is gone, and you can't replace that with worldly goods or with anything else. If you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first two basically deal with um, physical needs of, you know, we need to breathe, we need to eat, we need warmth. The second level deals with the need for safety, that, that all people have this desire within them for safety. But the third and fourth are love and meaning. They're love and meaning. Even though this is a very secular way of looking at human life, I've said this before, so much of secular psychology, while it gets stuff wrong, it points to stuff that we can already see in Scripture. God created us with the need to give love, to receive love. He created us with the ability to serve Him, and that is a need in our lives. And as believers, God has given us the church, His church, to meet our needs. So our big idea today as we look at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is that God's love has given us eternal life and eternal purpose in his church. God's love has given us eternal life and eternal purpose in his church. So we go through this, verses 14 and 15, we'll see in this beginning of Paul's prayer, his posture and prayer. 16 to 19, he, he brings forth his prayer requests, and then as he concludes in, in what is referred to as a doxology, it is his hope and purpose in praying for them. Let's read through the passage. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your word, for, for Paul writing down this prayer of his for the church at Ephesus. But through the inspiration of the Spirit, he has given us what he wanted to see for them and what he was asking you for them. God, help, help our study of this to touch our hearts to to reach our understanding and to to change how we view you and how we live our lives in jesus name we pray again as we start here in verses 14 and 15 we see as paul opens this section that this this prayer that we see his posture in it he starts with verse 14 there for this reason i bow my knees before the father the for this reason if you remember that was how chapter 3 started, and he was giving this, this purpose of what he's doing, 
that everything that God had done in taking them from being Gentiles and separate from God and giving them eternal life and breaking down the walls and bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together to create this church, he then explains further, as we looked at last week, this mystery that is unfolding before their eyes that they are a part of. Now he comes back to his that purpose that he started out with, that for this reason, that I bow my knees before the Father. Bowing our knees in prayer it is not a, a magical way of getting God to answer our prayers. There's nothing different about a prayer on our knees or standing or sitting other than that, what it does to our own hearts. In Sunday school this morning, we were looking at Matthew 6, where Jesus says that God knows our requests before we even bring them to him. And so the question then comes forth, why do we make those requests? We make them because it is us humbling ourselves and giving those requests to God, and that when we are so burdened and so in need of God's intercession in our life that we get down on our knees in humility and ask him to, to work in our lives in the ways that only he can, that we are outwardly showing what should always be in our hearts. And there are many times when those outward actions can help put our heart in the place it needs to be. That willingness to get down on our knees and pray. It doesn't change the prayer, but it, it furthers the change that we need in our hearts as we bring those requests to God. That when we do pray, we need to be doing it in an attitude not of just supposed to pray so I'm going to but that God is so much greater than I am I can't take care of this problem but I know he can and that is what Paul is expressing here not just that he is praying for them but he's expressing this this deep need to see God work in them this need that he has as he has expressed in the earlier part of the chapter that it is he calls his service to them God's grace in his life. And that is, that is his great purpose in life, is, is being a missionary for God to the Gentiles in building the church and breaking down those walls and revealing God's plan. Part of that service is being on his knees and wanting to see God's power work in them. My, my dad, I don't know, I... For most of my childhood, I don't think I ever saw him cry very often. I think in the last few years, especially since my mom died, he's become more emotional. I think one of the most emotional times I've ever seen him prior to, to mom's death was, was a week or so before his mom died. And we were at my grandparents' house, and he, he had gone upstairs to see if his dad needed anything. His dad was 92 at the time, I believe. 92 or 93, and... He came downstairs with tears in his eyes. My grandfather, he had no doubt that my grandfather was a believer, but spiritual things were never the priority in my grandfather's life. It was building his business. It was acquiring status and, and all of those things that can sidetrack us from our spiritual life. And as dad came downstairs with tears in his eyes, 
I asked him what was going on. He said, I went up there to see if he needed any help, and he was, he was on his knees at his bedside at 92 with fake knees and a bad back and bad feet that as he was praying for my grandma, that that proud man, he loved to put his name on everything. He was a proud man. But in that moment of fear, he wasn't too proud to get on his knees before his heavenly father. And that is what I think of when I think of this. Not that it, that Paul was teaching them sort of special way that they had to pray, but that this is, this is where our hearts need to be. Then in verse 15, from whom every name, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul has told them that, that he gets down on his knees and praying before the Father. I left that out. The before there gives us this picture of closeness and the Father. And then in using that, it's sort of a word play on Father that in Greek, Father was Petra and the, the head of a household was patria, we get patriarchy from, uh, and that every family on earth is, is coming from him. That is the picture he is painting of our God, our Father. He's the ultimate Father over every family. Every human family exists because of, of who God is, and that is the God that we come before when we pray. Um, again, that it is not only important that you know, the, to humble ourselves in position before God, but humble ourselves in knowing who we're bringing these requests to. This is the almighty God creator of the universe that I owe my existence, as does every single person on this earth, to him. He is so much greater than I am. And I think of these first two verses as we see not only his physical posture, but also his, his acknowledgement of who God is in this prayer. We move to our second point, verses 16 through 19, and we see Paul bring his requests before God. Verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Paul has has brought out throughout the first couple chapters the greatness of God's spiritual blessings, the greatness of his grace, that all of this is to bring him glory in verse chapter 2 verse 7 and then the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness and course in Christ Jesus that those things about him that are so magnificent and so wonderful and so denied by us as people will one day be evident to all but Paul wants to see them evident in their life now and as believers with the Holy Spirit living within us, that that is our opportunity. And this is what he is, is praying for them. He wanted them to strengthen their, their inner man. Think about the, the inner man, this, the spiritual being inside all of us, that each one of us as people, if Jesus does not come back for us, we are all headed for the same place. We are all headed for physical death. In this life, there is no other ending unless Jesus comes for his church for us. But that there is a part of us that is not temporary. The spiritual side of who God created us in his image is eternal, whether that eternity is with him or without him. And that in Christ and having God's spirit, Paul's prayer for them 
is strengthening in that. This power comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who God uses to strengthen our our innermost being. This isn't like Samson who was given physical strength. This is us being given this spiritual strength in our lives that no matter what we face, that we can glorify God in it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Start reading in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will be present with you. Paul there could say those things about being persecuted, but he knew he wasn't forsaken. Why? Because he was strengthened in his inner man. That he was struck down, but he was not destroyed because of the strength he received from God. And that is what he is is praying for here for these believers in Ephesus. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love so that there is is this result of the wanted result of his prayer that they be strengthened in this way is that, that Christ would dwell in them in their hearts through faith. The word dwell here, we often think of, when I think of the word dwell, I think of John 1.14, where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I often hear that translated as, as he tabernacled with us. And it is an awesome thing that God himself took on human flesh and he dwelt among us. But in that word dwelt, in the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling for God in the Old Testament that every time the Israelites moved they would pack it up and move it the word for dwell here is not the typical word in the Greek text used for dwell the word dwell here instead of meaning a sojourner or a foreigner an alien that this word refers to a permanent resident an owner Christ came to earth all those years ago and he lived his life among men so that he could save us. But that was very temporary. But what Paul is praying for them is this permanent residence of Christ in our hearts that he has given us his spirit, that that does not go away, but that in living this out, that he, he takes hold of our lives in such a way that, that he is in control. Jesus indwells every Christian but that giving him the ownership 
that it changes everything about us and who we are. Again, that this is that strengthening this life that Paul wants them to experience. And as believers, as we keep trusting and obeying that, that Jesus can continue to sit on that throne in our life, to, to show his power through our lives. I've talked about this several times recently, but that, you know, that's Jesus' point in, in John 15, in, in the upper room, the night before his, his betrayal, that as he tells them in, in John 15 that he is the true vine and they are the branches, that if they abide in him, that his power is going to flow through them. And he gets to verse 14 in John 15. He says that if you keep my, you, you are my friends if you keep my commands, that, that this is following his teachings, abiding in him, giving him control, brings about that power that we get from the true vine, which is what Paul wants these believers to experience in their life. Verse 18 says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. When we believe in Jesus, there is this sense of awe of what he has done for us. At Christmas time, there's a sense of awe that God became a man. At Easter time, there, is, there should be that sense of awe, just as there is every time we take the Lord's Supper together and we focus on the body and the blood of Christ, that he gave himself up for us. But that is God's love shown to man in its purest form. What Paul is bringing out here is that the more that we let Jesus have control, the more we abide in him, the more we submit ourselves to him, that these truths that we know, that we are in awe of, become more and more real in our lives as we are living them out. To, to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus' love for us. I have a hard time comprehending having his strength and power and awesomeness as God and letting someone punch me and beat me and whip me and spit on me and hang me on a cross and mock me. All of those things as people we can in some way relate to because we have felt physical pain, we have felt shame. The fact that Jesus was willing to go through all of that and he was willing to let himself be separated from the Father by my sin, enduring a spiritual agony that we can in no way comprehend, that those realities should shape every decision in my life, but truth is that the more I let them shape decisions in my life, the more they become real in my life. It says there in verse 19, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. In my human mind, I could never fully grasp God's love for me and how Jesus carried out that love in coming to this earth and living a perfect life and going to that cross and rising again on the third day, that it does surpass what my brain can comprehend. But that the more I 
let him work through me, the more that that becomes real and the more it changes who I am. I read a quote this week and said, no matter how much we know of the love of Christ, there's always more to know. And that should be a goal of ours in our life. God, use me in such a way that I can see your love work through me, that I can comprehend it greater so I can give it in greater ways. And as he gets to there at the end of verse 19, the ultimate goal of Paul's request was that his readers would be so full of this knowledge of Christ's love and appreciation for what God had done that they would allow Christ to control them fully as he said that they would be filled up with the fullness of God. That there is is a result. It's because of what you have access to in this knowledge of Christ and this working out of it in your life and this growing knowledge and this, this growing love, the result of that is you'll be filled up with the fullness of God. The more and more I focus on God's love, the more I can be filled up. And this here, really, I mean, the start of chapter 4, he, he's fully transitioned into how what God has done for us changes our lives in this earth. And this right here is, is his transition into that. We saw in chapter 1, as he was showing them who they were in Christ, he showed the work of the Father and the Son and of the Spirit. And here in this prayer, we, we bring out the, the power of the indwelling Spirit, the love of the Son, the love of Jesus, and now this fullness from the Father in our lives. I don't remember who said it. I, there's a, something I remember reading a long time ago. It was something like, the more we experience God, the more we enjoy life. Because we're not focusing on the, the earthly things that, that bring us no joy. We're focusing on God's things that do bring joy. And I think that's sort of, of what Paul is saying here, that the more we grasp what it is to have the Spirit in us, to have our inner man strengthened, the more we hold on to exactly what Christ's love has done for us, what it is doing the opportunity we have to serve him in his church, the more we experience him in our life. And this is very relatable to both to Romans 8 and Galatians 5 and Paul's walking in the spirit. That is the, a submitting our lives to God and his plans. And that is through those things that we see the real change in our life. When Jesus said, in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. It isn't just eternal life that he is speaking of there, that he has given us this opportunity for a rich and full life, not of earthly things, but full of, of who God is and bringing that out in our service to him. And in this chapter where Paul has so greatly shown his own service and his own mission that he has been given by God and what that means in his life and that is what he wants for them that God would bring these truths out in their life and that it would result in this complete change of who they are that as he described them as formerly walking according to the course of this world according to the prince and power of the air the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience as he started chapter 2 that who they are now and their position in Christ has so greatly changed 
that the condition of their life is nothing like what it was. The last two verses, Paul's conclusion of this prayer, I believe show his hope and his purpose. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The, the whole basis for Paul's confidence that God is able to do far beyond things that we can understand, the things that he's praying for, is that exactly what he has just shown. That these walls that seemed impenetrable, the division between the Jews and the Gentiles that was so great, the Jews who were benefactors of God's covenants and described as God's children, that that has now been made available to everyone. And that God in that has let us become equal parts in serving him. And in doing that, that God had clearly shown his greatness in the things that people thought could never happen, that they were currently happening. And Paul got to be a part of that. God's provision of love, both the Jews and the Gentiles were able to function together in the church. This is, reminds me of something else. We, in my Sunday school class, we've been looking at what we call theology proper, of, of who God is. And it starts out with the quote from Tozer that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And as we've looked at, at who God is and all of these things and the reality of God, something I try to stress over and over again, that when you are sharing these truths with an unbeliever, that they may have no interest in what the Bible says because they may not believe that it is anything more than a collection of old books. But if you can tell them what he has done in your life, that if what you believe about God is revealed in how you live and how God has worked in you, then it becomes real. And those truths that we know are truth and from God, because they have been shown in how you live your life and how you have experienced God in your life, can become true to them too. And that's what Paul has experienced, and that's why he's able to pray this and say these things about how great God is and how he has done abundantly more than anything he ever thought he could. And he is presenting all of this to believers. We all have this opportunity to see God for who he is, great and powerful, just, perfect, loving, filled with grace. And seeing those things and submitting to him, we bring glory to him. But if we take our eyes off of that and, and worship the God in the mirror, none of those things come about. It is that focusing on what God has done in my life that brings these truths into reality. Verse 21 again, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That as has been shown through, through chapter 1, that through the work of the Father, through the work of the Son, through the work of the Spirit, it was all bringing glory to God in chapter 2 and speaking of God's grace that forever and eternity when I am in heaven with God that I don't deserve to be there and so I will forever be a trophy to God's grace. 
that the riches of his glory will be shown forever because I'm there. Because nothing I've ever done in my life made me deserve a spot. Because I would have had to be perfect. And I am not perfect. So now he brings us back again to God's glory in our position in Christ and in the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Again, his glory to those people there that racism in our country there are a lot of really terrible things done in the history of our country and there's there's still places where those things are alive and well there are other places in the world where just people do terrible things to each other it doesn't even have to be skin color you've probably told me before my dad first started working in Myanmar that many people call it Burma the people of Myanmar hated that name because there are all of these tribes of people there, and the Burmese were the largest tribe. Those tribes, you, my dad has worked with them for years, and he still says he can't tell the difference between one tribe and another. They look exactly the same, but their dialects are slightly different, their backgrounds are different, and they hate each other to the point where an emphasis my dad had to make for years in teaching pastors was that you can't hate people of that tribe. They're part of the church, too. And if they aren't, you're supposed to share the love of Christ with them. These attitudes exist all over the world. And the hatred between Jews and Gentiles on both sides, from things you can read about it, is as great as any racism that has ever existed. Jews look down on everyone else, and everyone else looked down on them. And God broke down that wall and brought himself glory. And Paul, as he's pointed out, got to be a part of that because of his service in the building of this church. And as we look at it, that God has given us this this local body to bring him glory. He has given us his church universal to carry forth his dealings in this world. As he brought out in chapter 2, that we, the church, this plural we, are his special creation, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he predestined for us. That our point is, as a church, to see him for who he is. To let that dwell within us. To let Christ take a hold and rule us. And in our service to him, we bring glory to him. As we end this, this third chapter, this first section of the book, looking at who we are in Christ. And this is so important. Because this is setting up what he's going to get to over the next couple chapters that who we are in Christ should change everything about how we live our life. Seeing this here, that God's love has given us eternal life, but eternal purpose as well. We have this great purpose that we get to serve God. We get to glorify the only one who is worthy of glory. Back to that original idea of, of the needs that we have as people. And secular psychologists can look at things and look at trends and look at how people act and the things that they go for and try to comprehend them. And us understanding it, that God created us in his image, that we know that we do need love because he is love. And that we know we do need purpose because he put Adam and Eve on the earth with a purpose and serving him and cultivating the garden and having dominion over this earth, that it was in service to him that they 
That's why they were put here. And now, with sin so corrupting this world, that without him, we, those, that love can never be found, those purposes can never be found. But with him, we have them. We need to embrace them. Blaise Pascal, who is, is often given credit for the idea that we each have a, a God-shaped hole in our life, which isn't something he actually said. But this is what he did say. He said, what else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim? But there, there was once in man true, a true happiness of which all that now remains is the print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in the things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and an immutable object, in other words, by God himself. In giving us his son, he's given us his love and his grace. And through faith in Jesus, his finished work on the cross, we, we get that eternal life. And this has always been God's plan. In the beginning, God created the world perfect created man perfect. That's what Blaise Pascal was getting at there. That the needs and the wants in us now point to the fact that there was once that at one point we had those needs met. That we are longing for what once was. Because of man's sin and what the world has fallen into, that is no longer there. But God from the very beginning promised a Savior that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that promise can be lived out in our lives, bringing glory to God. All those needs that we have, the need for love and for purpose, they're completely met by our Heavenly Father. And in knowing who we are, He gave us the church, and He expects us to, to work together to bring Him glory. And that, when I think about that in the context of this prayer, I mean, how often do I, I pray those things for myself? God, fill me. God, take control. God, help me to grasp Jesus' love for me. God, let all of those things fill me with you. Not often enough. Because that is my challenge this morning, that we view our lives so often in service to him, but are we... Are we seeing the potential of what he wants for us, of what he wants for our church, of what we can be a part of and the purpose and direction we can have in our life when we align them with him, we direct our prayer life in this way. Pray with me as we conclude. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this passage, for this book, for the great lengths that Paul goes to in showing just how much you have changed us because of your son Jesus and our faith in him. And just what the church should mean to our lives. God, as we are only a couple weeks away from celebrating Christmas, help this time not only to be a time of joy in our own lives, but a time where we get to celebrate Jesus coming to earth is a time where we can share that wonderful truth and your love that was made manifest in the baby Jesus and through his life and through his death and resurrection that we can Make that known to the world around us, that you will give us those opportunities to serve you, and that, God, that you will fill us, will allow us to, to serve you in ways that show how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.